0: Welcome to our podcast. We hope that this content is a blessing for your life. Enjoy the message. This will be the third, I believe, um, message that we're going to do around Ephesians chapter 4. And I tell you, I've preached about Ephesians Throughout my entire ministry, and and uh, Ephesians 4 has been there in several occasions, but um, I've never understood this passage as uh, clearly and as in detail as I've uh, been doing now as I explore it very specifically. And it's so timely; it's like we we are flowing in you know in a very prophetic time as to, uh, as to each piece of this uh, passage that we uh, this chapter 4 that we are exploring. So. Remember that we have talked about, um, in in the first sermon, we we spoke about the virtues for a time of conflict. We talked about the need for humility and for meekness, for patience. Uh, Last uh, Sunday, I believe that we spoke about, uh, we isolated uh, agape love and uh, what that means and and the the need to, our unity to be based on love because that's what it's all about. I mean, it's not about works. It's not even about... um, uh, orthodoxy, because orthodoxy, that is, um, you know, adhering to the Word of God without having the life of love in it, without having the, the lubricant that love provides, is just sterile. It's dry, it's conflictive, it's inhuman, it certainly is not divine. Uh, orthodoxy needs to be enlivened by love. And uh, unity is so important because without the unity of the church, um, we have nothing really. The unity of the church is so important. And you know, that passage spoke about the unity in, in uh, being one body, one spirit, having one spirit, and have, having been called to just one hope, and having one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, just uh, holding us together. Sublime words. You know, what a beautiful, sublime understanding of uh, the unity of the church is provided in those verses. But now, the Apostle Paul, as he always will do, he will go deeper. He will go into more detail. Just as he did even before starting the exploration of uh, unity and love and, and all those other virtues that we exp- um, explored, because in the previous three chapters, he he has a, you know, he goes into the grand design of the church. He really gets uh, theological on us, as he sometimes does, like in Hebrews or in, if he wrote Hebrews or, or Romans um, or Colossians. You know, he, he's exploring the big picture of the church and exploring it in, like, terms that only he can do it. But he then goes from that, you know, 30,000, 50,000 feet. I mean, he's out in outer space looking at the, the whole church and its destiny and its past and its origins uh, from space. Then he goes in, in, you know, in that part of chapter 4, he's like he, he goes under the atmosphere but it's still high above. You know, he's thirty thousand feet, twenty-five thousand feet, looking at the you know a big picture, but still not as as detailed and as granular to use that word as he's going to get in this passage now. So in chapter in verse one through I would say verse six. He is uh, exploring, again, the church now in its cohabitation as we live together, as we move together in the life of the church, the quotidian, the daily practical life of the church. But then he goes even deeper now and in more detail into a next stage. So um, in verse 7, he says, but, and notice that but, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned. That's That's a significant word. And I'm going to skip that other, um, go, get down to verse 10. I'm going to skip those two verses. They're complicated, and, and they don't really, they, I think they would divert us in explaining them from our purpose. Verse 10 says, Now he who descended, meaning Christ, he came down to earth in his incarnation, is the very one who ascended higher. You know, that, you remember that the Bible says that God lifted him up and gave him a name above every other name. You know, so he says... He is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And that's an important, it's a glorious uh, vision of Jesus. Jesus triumphant. Jesus ascended. Jesus filling the entire universe. Isn't he God after all? He's very God. God, uh, how do I say, God of very God or something like that in one of the... uh, confessions of the church. He he is like absolutely God, no question about it. And he fills the entire universe in his um, ascent, in his uh, glorification. Um, And then uh, he goes on in verse, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, notice as I read all these images of building, of construction, of, um, you know, robust work and investment. This is not a a wimpy understanding of the church. This is a church that is being built up like this building, you know, all the pieces being put together very deliberately. So, uh, to equip his people so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity, reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. These are redundant images. Uh, mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness. I mean, if you have the whole measure, that's, that would be No, But he says, no, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When, when, when the Apostle Paul wants to be clear, he just becomes um, redundant, just to emphasize uh, the importance of what he's saying. And this is the consequence of that building up of the Holy Spirit in that robust, virile sort of way. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Remember what the Apostle James says in another passage about the man of double mind? You know, it's like a... he's Calls back and forth, and that person who is double-minded and not clearly defined in favor of the truth of God, let them not expect anything. And I, I get ahead of myself here in saying that the Church of Jesus Christ, in this time, in the history of humanity, and in the in this phase of God's plans for humanity, needs to define itself. It needs to be clear. It needs to be purified. It needs uh, uh, to be con- condensed and concentrated. Because that is the only church that God will use. A church that is, uh, you know, undefined, don't expect to be used by God. And this time in human history requires a very defined, robust, warlike church. And it needs that kind of unity. But look at the unity that he's speaking about. So, you know, infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, Instead of that church that, you know, it kind of catches any virus, like a child, like somebody who has low defenses, they'll catch anything. The church should be robust, healthy, strong, defined. Instead, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From Him, and again, notice these images of uh, coherence, concreteness, unity, um, how should I say it, uh, clarity, definition, coordination. These are, you know, these are strong images. Uh, until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure. Oh, forgive me. Um, every everyone of teaching, I was, I went back. Um, who is the, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect, I mean, on verse 15, we will become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is, Christ. From Him, this is where I wanted to go, from Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, I mean, that, that's something, the structure here, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Do you see that image of a great, um, it, it's, a, it's a busy, but not busy just for the sake of busyness. No, it's, a, it, it, it's a, a beehive. Where every bee is doing its work, has its function, has its operation. A beehive is the most complex structure you can ever imagine. That's the way the church is meant to be. It is supposed to be a, a, an, an army It is supposed to be a corporate structure. I mean, if nothing else from this passage and from my sermon, I want you to leave here impregnated by this. By this, uh, I'm going to say. I'm going to say the word masculine. (laughs) Forgive me, ladies. I think there are many women who are much more masculine than most men that I know, by the way. But uh, yeah, I got to use that word. You know, it is a masculine understanding of the church. it is a strong, clear, defined, disciplined understanding of the church. And I, I've always had a thing about this passage of, you know, chapter, of chapter 4 of Ephesians, because sometimes we speak about unity, and you know, nowadays everybody speaks about unity, but uh, man, unity is something very, very specific, very structural, very functional, and that is the unity that God wants for His church um, when, when the Apostle Paul says, but, in verse 7, to each one of us, you know, he's, he's gone from one passage about unity, as we said, and so on, and this, but you know what, uh, this gotta be, we have to be a little more um, disciplined than that. Uh, it suggests that there is a connection between what has preceded, uh, but that there's also going, we're go- also going beyond it to new considerations. There is still this element of unity, but now we are told what unity is for and how unity should look like, what it should look like. We're also told about what keeps it, what maintains it. What are the concrete elements that keep unity where it's supposed to be and that give it its specific uh, nature? So this passage calls for functional unity. Functional unity. Unity that leads to something Unity that that uh, is uh, animated by clear vision and by clear parameters. This is all over, this, uh, this passage. The unity of the body that Paul speaks about is not sentimental, okay? It is a robust unity. It has consequences and obligations. It is a unity founded on truth. That's why I rebel many times when I... You know, when I hear Christians these days uh, speaking about unity as if it means, well, you know, take away anything that uh, would tend to make people uncomfortable, and let's have unity, kumbaya unity, we should call it that. You know, it's just like, uh, let's avoid anything that uh, makes us uncomfortable or that um, clarifies the differences, and let's find that vanilla unity, that common denominator. Some people say, oh, just give me Jesus, and... uh, they don't understand what that means. Who is Jesus? Jesus is a very robust, a very concrete being. So, you know, notice that this unity is a very functional unity. It is not sentimental. It has consequences, has obligations, founded on truth. The unity that we have uh, today in many places is a unity built on willful ignorance and suppression of the truth of the word of Scripture. And unity needs to be based on sound doctrine. We will continue with that later on. It needs to be based on clarity. Remember my message, and if you want, go back to that, because I hope you'll see that my messages have, you know, they're, 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 they're deliberate. I spoke recently about crisis, definition, separation. We are in a critical time in the history of humanity and in the development of the church and, and we need a, an attitude that will be up to what God is up to in our time. And there has to be definition. There has to be clarity. Doctrine is important. Doctrine matters. And I am more convinced of this than ever. Unity here is seen as a complex, purposeful phenomenon. It is not mushy or amorphous, you know, like a big blob of goodness and happiness and, you know, mushy friendliness. It is not spineless. Unity here is dynamic and it is tense. It has conflicting elements. It has love, but then it has truth and doctrine. And there's always that tension within the church between love and holiness, between discipline and um, tolerance for each other. And we got to live in that tension. This is what he so well uh, unfolds here. And that unity presupposes that we will see a couple of things here. Number one, a diversity of gifts. You know, he says, and he gave these gifts to his people. And you know, these gifts here, they appear in other ways in other places in the Bible. But in this case, the gifts that God gives, among other things, is apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. These are sort of condensations of the gifting of God, if you will, In specific functions, in specific offices, apostles, teachers, prophets, and so on, for a particular purpose. So that unity, uh, or rather that that richness of God's work and His unity is given, and the gifts are given for diversity of functions. Um, Those gifts of God are also given to build up the body. Apostles and prophets and so on, they are given pastors. To build up the body in a coherent sort of way, not with all kinds of doctrines and so on. And so, no, no, the the function of a pastor, or the function of a uh, an apostle, or any of the gifts, a teacher, is supposed to, so that you guys and we also in the process because we're all also growing that you guys can grow in a healthy sort of way, like a mother who gives their child her children, you know. Uh, Spinach one day and spaghetti another and another day a hamburger, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a, so that they have all the different nutrients. Woe to the mother who just gives her children pizza all the time and ice cream. That's what children want, you know. They'd be happy with just pizza and Big Macs. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the function of the teacher, of the pastor, is to give his people what they don't want many times, what they don't want to hear. Because uh, they need that. Besides the goody sweet things, they also need sober teaching that will sometimes rankle and confront and make uneasy and offend. But it is necessary for the growth, the healthy growth of the body of Christ. And so God has given these giftings of the prophet, the apostle, the teacher, the pastor, so that the church. When you come on Sunday, you know, you know what you come to do? You come to, among other things, first to worship God, but also to receive sound nourishment for your soul and for your growth through the offices that God has provided. So it is given, the, you have this diversity of gifts in unity to build a body in unity to promote effectiveness of the church in service. This is important. It says in verse 12, you know, so Christ, in verse, go 11. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do what? To equip, another muscular word, to equip his people for works of service. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You are being trained. You are being taught. And you come to church for one thing and one thing alone, to be equipped for the works of service, to become useful to the kingdom of God, to produce on behalf of the master. I could give you, some, sometimes go back to, I think it's Luke uh, 8 or 12. I'm not going to read it now, but I want to give you the right, you know, about this. In one passage, Jesus says to the church in that passage, occupy until I come. Yeah, occupy until I come. You know, be be busy about the work of the kingdom, um, and and uh, you know that that that's something that we just absolutely need to do. Yeah, I I believe that it's in uh, Luke uh, twelve. I should know by now. I preached on that passage. Um, you know, this idea of the master who leaves and then gives to each of his. Uh, uh, employees, a talent, a gift, and then comes back years later and says, okay, now, I'm going to take an accounting here. Tell me what you did, what you did, what you did, and what you did. Do you know that that's going to happen someday? God is going to ask you, what did you do with the gifts that I gave you? What did you do with the teaching that you received? What did you do with all that Bible that you read? Did you use it for my kingdom? Did you advance the interests of my kingdom? Did you at least give your tithes and your offerings? Did you at least pray for your pastors? I mean... You, are, you exist for only one purpose, and you are taught and prepared for one purpose, to produce for the kingdom. Yeah. There is no tolerance in the gospel for wimpy Christianity, for consumer mentality. I just come, gimme, gimme, gimme. No, you are, you are taught to produce. You are blessed to produce. You are gifted to produce. And if you're not producing, you should be restless and you should be very uncomfortable asking yourself, Lord, what do you want me to do? Ask the Lord. Pray. Pray that God will illuminate you so that you can find your place in the kingdom, so you can find your gift in the kingdom. Ask the Holy Spirit. You don't want to leave this earth without having done significant things on behalf of the kingdom of God, okay? And that is why you are taught. That is why you are given the gifts of the Spirit. It's not to just, you know, roam around saying, hey, look how strong I am. Look how beautiful I am. No, you're not a wine taster coming to church to sort of taste the, the, the latest sermon and to see whether you like it or not. Like, a, a, you know, a, one of those uh, people who evaluate wines. People are like that. They come to church and, they, you know, how was the service today? Oh, it was okay, but you know I me, mean, the pastor could have said something different or whatever. I was a little cold, but not knowing that you're the one who's supposed to make it hot. You know, people come to church to be manipulated many times. Okay, here I am now, work on me. That's not, that's not the kingdom. The kingdom is a bunch of workers coming together to get ready and trained to go out there and give more for the kingdom, to produce more for the kingdom. That is what he says here, to equip his people for works of service. That is the purpose of the gifts. It presupposes effectiveness. And it also presupposes theological unity. Theological unity. That is something that we're not used to understanding. You know, more and more, we, we, have, to, uh, we have to become mature. You know, it says until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. You know, um, we have to, it, it, church, the church is divided today, let me tell you. We, have no, we don't have unity in the faith and in doctrine. The church is an amalgamation of uh, different opinions and beliefs, and everybody wants to go their own way. Imagine an army where when the sergeant or the, the, the lieutenant or the, says, you know, hey, we got to take that hill, and we're going to do it this way. And the soldier starts, well, you know, I don't know. I I think that this way is better. And you know what? I got to go and finish uh, the magazine that I was reading before I go there. No, I mean, there has to be a clarity of teaching unity belief. And uh, the church is not, uh, you know, just a, uh, a cocktail party where we're supposed to be comfortable and happy. It is, it, is a, it is a robust place of discipline and of clarity and of subjugation to the, the, the dominance of the Spirit of God and the Word. That is what we are supposed to be and do. <clears throat> so, it presupposes theological unity. And remember that passage where it says, um, so that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. There are many people in our time, in the church, that are tossed back and forth by every virus that enters the, the economy of the church. Uh, you know, I, don't get me started on that. I want to behave well this morning. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there needs to be uh, a, a, a resistance inside of us to, you know, these days, I mean, all this, how easily the church is divided, how easily the church gets, catches the latest flu, the latest cold that's happening in society. How easily we are corrupted in our understandings of uh, what is justice and, and what is, uh, you know, proceeding in, the, in the, the design of God sexually, for example, and gender-wise, or, um, you know, in, in, in doctrines of, uh, that concern the church in other ways as well. How can there be in, in a Christian church different understandings about, about uh, abortion, for example? How can we tolerate, you know, forgive me. Again, you know, here, I, I hope I'm, I'm not offending. I didn't want to go there. But, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, that is doctrine, by the way. Doctrine is not just the ethereal... I believe in Jesus Christ, Son of God, born of a virgin, died on the cross, was raised on the third day. That's one dimension. But you, you will see later on what I'm talking about. Unfortunately, I can't say everything in one sermon. But next sermon, come back and tune in if you still love me, and you will, you will see the consequences of a true good doctrine. <clears throat> They're very concrete. They're very special. They're very behavioral. They hit the ground solid. And uh, the church, we we need unity, brothers and sisters. We need unity, doctrinal, faith-based unity in order to do the work of the kingdom. This moment in human history and in the workings out of the plan of God require a church that is muscular and unified and clear on its purposes and solidly based on biblical doctrine because that, only that church will accomplish the things that God wants to do in this moment in human history. It is a church that, that works in concert, that proceeds like a, like a phalanx of the Roman army, all together. Our shields put together so that we can resist when the enemy comes. We're together. We're strong. If there's not that unity, we're going to be dispersed. We are already dispersed to a certain degree. And this is what he's speaking about. It's for the work of the kingdom. It it requires resistance to error and heresy. And so what you you see in all these things, uh, you know, uh, uh, unity requires diligence. This is why Paul earlier said, make every effort. He used the the, the Greek term spodatho. Spodatho, make every effort. You know, it it means work quickly, urgently, deliberately, with great expense of energy to, to make that unity that God wants to achieve possible. True unity is not easy to achieve. At least not this unity, this muscular unity that the Bible speaks about. It is hard work. It requires intentionality, striving, and planning. True unity of the Bible requires previous reflection and lots of visioning, spending time visioning. It has to be programmed into our ministries and lives. And you know what? Unity, listen to this, may even involve, ironically, a certain level of preliminary conflict you know, how can how is, how is that possible? Unity may require a, a previous element of conflict, at least in, in the beginning, before it is achieved. It may require purification. Go back to that sermon about uh, crisis and uh, definition. It may require purification and even some division and separation, as I suggested earlier. I've, I've often spoken about the fact that our church, many years ago, when we were in Cambridgeport, we were living a very nice uh, life with a with a building that we didn't need to we, we had we had inherited for free, beautiful neighborhood, very little expenses, um, and uh, you know then the Lord uh, visited my life with a, with a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I started speaking to the church about the, our need to get deeper into the gifts of the Spirit, into a Pentecostal life, uh, to live a Pentecostal life as, as, as that congregation. Well, you know, that set off a, a, a whole explosion of disunity in the church. There were people who just did not want to go there. They were very traditional Baptists. They were Baptists before they were Christians. And, uh, you know, they wanted their nice Baptist Liturgy, And here comes this pastor disturbing them and introducing all kinds of new elements, a different kind of worship, uh, you know, a different kind of understanding of leadership, um, our services becoming more f- spirit-filled and more... Um, Uh, You know, there were demons manifested, and and all kinds of stuff happened. Longer services, more instruments. There were people there who thought that the piano had been brought down from heaven as the only instrument that the church could use, or the the organ. And drums, these things are of the devil. And so what happened? You know, the church started becoming really tense. And I won't give you the whole story. And the Lord... You know, I think he, he guided me to, to divide the church. And I, I think we did it in a beautiful, biblical, lovely sort of way. But there needed to be purification. And I'm not saying that I'm going to do that, that I'm doing that. Please, don't put words in my mouth. I'm just saying about what happened there. And I'm saying that when the Lord brings the church into a greater level of definition, there will be discomfort, there will be conflict, there will be division. Those people did not want to be uh, disturbed in their synthesis of uh, congregational life. And so I understood that we could not be together because, you know, the church is getting bitter. It was becoming conflictive. And so I told them, hey, guys, I mean, let's, let's find a way out of this. Let's plant another church. This is called uh, Birth by Caesarean Section. Let's plant another church. Let's... Um, you know let's and and uh, let's let's have somebody else come and lead you and I, I, I invited the founding pastor um to come you know he had been with us for about a year and a half when he founded the church and so i said hey you know he he's he he's really he's a really good baptist he can lead you and so we opened up the space and you know 20% of the church left about 20% the creme of the creme, the tithers, the, the Bible school teachers, the, the musicians, you know. Um, but you know what? I, I've said this before, but if not, you may be here for the first time, but, you know, we lost. And it was a crucifixion for me and my wife. Painful to see people that we really dearly loved leave uh, the church. There was a time of grieving for us. But in a year's time, I had had the dream that brought us here to Boston. I, had, I received a new vision, and the Lord said, I want you to come to Boston. And the Lord showed me the Lion of Judah reigning over Boston. I know that those lovely, beautiful Christians who left would not have ever allowed our church to come into this crime-ridden, dysfunctional part of the city of Boston that it was 26 years ago. And uh, you know, but it re- it required again, it required a division and a separation because unity re- you cannot have unity. The, the Bible says, "How can two sh- how can how can two walk together?" Como pueden dos estar juntos si no están de acuerdo? How can two walk together if they're not in accord, if they're not in agreement? You know, there are very good uh, precedents in Scripture for you know when when there's that kind of uh, Irreconcilable division, or, or, or irreconcilable, yeah, separation. There needs to be an actual purifying of the waters. I'm not understand the spirit with which I say this. Um, it, it is. I hope you can see that I am navigating biblical ground, I'm not inventing anything here. But it is, you know, in order for the church to become what Christ wants it to become, it has to become defined and clear there has to be theological unity there has to be discernment the word crisis crisis in the greek original also speaks about differentiating uh, splitting things and that is important you know the unity may involve ironically uh, separation in order for true unity to come about unity requires a very strong stomach i tell my Colleagues sometimes say, you know, I want my church to become strong. I want it to be filled with the Spirit. I say, be careful of what you ask for. Because it may send you into war with the hell itself. It, it may make you go through very stormy waters. It may require your, your Isaac. It may require dying to all the things that you consider important and uh, Life giving to the health of your church, including your salary, including your position, including the stability of your church. God will not take you into vitality without first amputating a few dead pieces of your body. It is, is, you know, unity is something very complex. And I think that the complexity of 21st century life, like never before, requires unity effectiveness, concreteness, cohesion from the church. Why? Because we have a unified enemy. We have an enemy that is highly efficient, well-defined, wily, and calculating like never before. We face a highly organized opposition, and the church finds itself, on the contrary, in a weak position with a diversity of conflicting doctrines, no clear guidelines, no understanding of authority, not founded on solid, robust, defiant orthodoxy. But the other, the enemy is very highly defined, and they have no doubt as to what they want to achieve. And the church needs to acquire and achieve that same kind of effectiveness of biblical grounding We have a fractured church, on the contrary, with heresy rampant and present in the most subtle of ways. This divided, fractured, disorganized church will never be able to accomplish the things that God requires from it in the complex world that we live in right now. But in this passage here, we have, you know, this working vision of the church This text gives us guidance as ministers and and laborers as to why we exist, why we have been called and gifted, what we are supposed to achieve and pursue in the kingdom. Read this text that I I read about in the beginning those verses in the light of what I'm saying. The church here in this passage is presented as having both an internal and an external purpose. Mark that. An an, an, An internal purpose and an external purpose. The external purpose of the church is to glorify God, to extend His kingdom, to proclaim His truth, to advance the kingdom of God. Now, the internal purpose of the church is to provide all the nutrients, all the instruction necessary, so that the saints may enter into their intended identity and function, that they may function correctly. You see, here he's speaking about the internal purposes of uh, the unity and the, and the gifting of God, the church needs to constitute itself into that powerful organism, that instrument of the work of the kingdom. The church needs to get its house together, people. I've always understood that, that uh, what God has in store for the future it requires that the church get its house together. Now, we, we are able to do all kinds of political stuff and so on. You have your positions. I, you know, have mine. Some of us are different. You know, but I, I always know that this, it's not about that. That's just, a, that's just a, a little aspirin that you take before you go for surgery. Ultimately, what I know is required in this world is a supernaturally endowed church, clearly defined, sanctified purified, decanted, that's, that's what is required. Um, and, and so, this is, this is a moment of uh, preliminary relief before what really matters, so the, the future time. I'm always banking on, uh, you know, the cavalry showing up in supernatural sorts of ways. The church that is going to transform the world is, is, is a is church on steroids. It's a church on supernatural fuel. And I, I am really, I'm not interested in, in this uh, church of uh, in false prophesying and wishful thinking. I, I think I know what constitutes a genuine, bona fide manifestation of the power of God. And I'm, I'm waiting to see it and I'm praying for it. And I'm agonizing for it. Because I know when the church becomes pure and powerful and spiritually endowed, nothing will be able to resist it. It will plow through mountains and rocks like an iceberg, just pushing through and just squeezing everything out of its way. That's the way the church proceeds, with violence, but it is a kind of a, a cold violence, slowly just proceeding disciplined mercilessly just irresistibly that is the church that will be able to discipline this generation uh, this generation is you know it, uh, let me i'm not I'm not going to use the word but it's just a it's a generation that is arrogant resistant secularized completely corrupted and that requires you know a a 10-foot electrical saw to cut through it. That, that, is a, that is so, you know, the saints need to enter into that identity for that, that challenge. These gifts are not provided so that we might enjoy them and show them off. They're provided for works of service. Um, you know, this sovereign, this magnificent sovereign that Paul describes at the beginning who gives gifts to men, who fills the, old, the, the, the pleroma, the entire universe. Um, it, it, he distributes so that uh, certain things can be carried out by clearly defined, well-disciplined, well-indoctrinated people. Let me push through here. I'm almost uh, at the end Here. Uh, year. There, there, there are many things here that he gets into. You know, one of the things is about, uh, you know, these different gifts that are, are apportioned. This, this sovereign, he apportions these gifts. So, uh, so notice that word apportion. It means he, he gives in a very deliberate sort of way. Each of you has a gift inside of you. Okay? Each of you, this is what he says in the beginning, you know, that God gave uh, to each of us, the grace is given. You know, each of you has something. Even if you may, may not be doing anything right now, you, have, you are impregnated. You have, a, you have, a, you have a, a, um, an embryo inside of you. It is the gifting of God. You may not know it. You may not have begun to exercise it. You may be like a pregnant woman that doesn't yet know that she is pregnant. But you are carrying a very specific expression of the life of God in you. A very specific God, a gift. And God wants you to find that gift. Through prayer, through fasting, through biblical instruction, through travailing. And, and, and just say, Lord, I'm going to die if you don't tell me what you want from me. You know, go in there and, and uh, yearn for it. Yearn, desire the best gifts, the Bible says. And let the Lord then bring you into that. Begin taking baby steps of moving and serving the church. Start somewhere. And God will will slowly develop the gift inside of you. But each one of you has a gift. I don't care if you don't know how to read or write. I don't care how traumatic your past has been and and how contaminated you may be right now. If you are a believer and you love God and you love his kingdom, he has something for you to do. Now find it. I I can't tell you. I, I, I can't tell you what it is. Don't come to me and ask me, well, Pastor, you tell me. People come to me and, you know, pastor, all right, I'm here, I want to work, and you know what, I, I, I you know, even if I wanted to, I can't say to you. I, there's so many things that complicate the life of the church, but you got to find it, and if you really yearn for it, you ask the Lord for it, you live a determined life. He will show you. He will not allow you to squander your life if you really want to be used, okay? So each of you has a gift. Pat, you have a gift. Bolivar, you have a gift. Blanca, you have a gift. All of you, we all have a gift. What is it, Lord? What is it? What is it? Be restless, and he will find that gift for you. If we are not preparing ourselves, well, I'll go back here. I wrote wrote something. It It is important that we understand this fact of the gifts. God gives us his grace and saves us. So that we might be useful to his kingdom. If we are not preparing ourselves, and if we're not involved in some sort of service to the kingdom of God, then we are useless. We are being unfaithful. We are squandering the gift of God that is in us. Let us remember the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. I urge you then to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. It's in there. You are pregnant. Go home and tell yourself, I'm pregnant, and I didn't know it. All right and make sure that that baby grows nicely inside of you and then is issues into this beautiful muscular Christian that serves the Lord. Right. This is why we exist as believers. This is why the gifts of the Spirit are given to us. It is not to sit in a chair or to live an ambiguous Christian life. We should be full of purpose, meaning and action on behalf of the kingdom. I'll tell you this, the most important part of this sermon is still ahead. I was going to, but I realized that's just too much material. So I'm not going to tire you out. Come next Sunday. Tune in, or maybe, yeah, not next Sunday, but the following Sunday. Um, and I'll continue with this, because I, I've, I've not been able to get to the most, ironically, the most important part of this um, Passage. But uh, what are you going to leave with today? You're going to leave today with the call of the Spirit to live a disciplined Christian life, to submit to the Spirit of God, not to um, accustom yourself to the winds of this culture, but to renew and transform yourself through the renewing of your mind. You're being called to adopt a, 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 a different understanding of the church, Instead of it being a a social club, it is a place for training and preparation. You are being called to be restless about your calling specifically and your gifting. And to not be happy until you see yourself producing for the Lord, who's going to come and who's going to ask you, in the moment of accounting, what did you do with the gift that I gave you and all the anointing and, and provision that I gave you? What did you do with it? you are also being called to adjust your mind to the doctrinal teaching of the Word of God, to become, to become deep in your understanding of the Word, and, and to submit your own understanding to God's understanding. We all have to die in order to uh, understand what God is teaching us. And we all have to take our cherished understandings of uh, Scripture and to submit it to the Word of God. And um, to understand that we are living in pregnant times that are not like the times that we used to be in. At some point, you have entered into a new way of God dealing with His church and with humanity. And we are in it. And that means that we need to, you know, up our game. We need to become Christians uh, absorbed by a sense of urgency. Because these are times where the, the church is being called into a new muscular understanding of itself and of the calling of God. I'm calling you to go deeper into the word. Go deeper into fasting and praying. Be willing to sacrifice many things that you love, including many people that you love, many associations, many friendships, many things that you love to do that bring you pleasure. You may have to let go of some of these things to become the, 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 what, what God needs you to become in this time. you got to put everything on the floor, everything. Lay everything that you like and love, including your self-understanding, put it all in the hands of Christ. Truth. Doctrinal discipline. These are the things that God is teaching us today. So, just re- receive it in Jesus' name. If there is something, if there is something that offends you in what I've said, um, you know, deal with it. Um, how, how can I? Also, how can I say it in another way? Go to go in prayer. Ask the Lord about it. You know, um, this is what uh, you know. This is. I tell you, I, um, God is, uh, I was telling some sisters here this morning, God is taking away the fear of man from us. He's forcing us to define ourselves clearly. Father, we thank you. We thank you for leading us right next to the precipice. We're scared when we look in it, but, uh. We don't, we don't want to be in the place of just safety and, and comfort. We want to go somewhere where you are. It may be dangerous. The demons may be howling at us. But if you're near us, then we have nothing to fear. Thank you for taking away the baby fat and leading us into true maturity. And we welcome this time. We welcome this time, Holy Spirit. We welcome your time and that we pray that we will be up to the task. Thanks for tuning in. You can find more resources like this in our website, leondejuda.org, and in our social networks by searching for Congregación León de Judá. We look forward to being with you again. God bless you.